Welcome to the Outsiders Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Neil Salen. I am here, as always, with my main man, Tyler France. Tyler, what you got for me? Oh, man, I'm excited. We're going to get into music today. You know, that's Tyler's thing, guys. You should know this. You should know this. It is. Well, before... Tyler France Music, check it out. Before we get into racial representation and diversity in music, I, I want us to talk to us, uh, uh, about the Super Bowl a little bit. Yeah. So this is kind of our heart check segment. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit because the Super Bowl, we almost did a whole episode on the Super Bowl. Yeah, like Bowl. a special. We just did almost like a super special bowl, special times. Special and times. And because there was so much diversity and representation yeah. in... The Super Bowl. Right. There was so much black presence, which is crazy to me because I, I was telling my family Sunday night, the Super Bowl is played in February every year. Right. They, this is an opportunity for them to, right in the middle of Black History Month, to promote racial yeah. diversity every single time. Right. And so um, they seem to have taken advantage of it a little yeah. bit better and more this time than yeah. maybe I've ever seen. And, and it, it seemed less forced, too. Like, I, I feel like some of the, um, the things that they did were, were more genuine towards representing right. and, and stuff. And so, uh, and more intentional, we'll say yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Of course, it started off, um, the first thing I noticed was it started off with Halle Berry, mm-hmm. who um, is a black actress, right. who is narrating this big mix between movies and and football yeah and so she's narrating this whole thing that the nfl did right um and so right off the bat you put a to open up the whole super bowl yeah, yeah. you put a black woman front and center yeah um and so that was really really important yeah and then the first the next thing they do right off the bat is they play the black national anthem they mm-hmm. play um that right and so you're sitting there thinking okay this is yeah you know then they honor the Forgotten First. Right. So there, there is a book by Keyshawn Johnson, who used to play in the NFL. He's played for the Cowboys. Uh, he did, Hall of Famer. Uh, played for USC. He mm-hmm. wrote a book where he talks about. It's called The Forgotten First, mm-hmm. and he talks about four specific men who broke the color barrier in the NFL. Um, their names are Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Mar- uh, Marion Motley, and Bill Willis, hmm. and they brought their families. Onto the field. Yeah, that was cool. So they mention their names and they have their families on the field. Yeah. Here is the legacy of these men who broke the color barrier in the NFL. Right. Um, which I thought was yeah. fantastic. Um, so they had a little special presentation for that. Uh, then we get God Bless America and the National Anthem, mm-hmm. both sung by black right. artists. Yeah. Uh, a black country artist mm-hmm. um, in the National Anthem. Right. And so... I felt like the NFL was doing what so many people had had asked them to do throughout the years. Be inclusive Mm -hmm. in your presentations and make sure that you, you put black people front and center because the vast majority of your players are black, you know, like we probably ought to, you know, we probably ought to have some good representation there. Um, Now I know you wanted to talk about the halftime show a little bit and then uh, one commercial that I think we wanted to talk about as well. Yeah. The the halftime show, man, uh, just represented a whole culture, you know, uh, that, that oftentimes is not represented, especially in that kind of limelight. Uh, so I, I thought that was really awesome, and as a huge fan of hip hop, it was it was cool to see yeah all those you know artists yeah. together and stuff uh, right. But yeah, I mean it just fully encompassed. I mean it, almost a time period mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And, yeah, and yeah, know. it represented a time period. It represented a people. It represented a culture. Right. Um, made sense that you know the Super Bowl was in L.A. It made sense that Dre yeah. got to do the Super Bowl, yeah. which make no mistake about it, it was a Dr. Dre Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah. He brought these other yeah. artists in, but it's well, because those are the guys that he has found and, and produced and produced and, and that kind of stuff. But yeah. it was a Dr. Even Dre Mary halftime Blige, show. Like that was, yeah. you know. He yeah, they were all that song. promoting Dre, you know, yep. and uh, what he has meant to Southern California and stuff. And then there was a Google commercial that, uh, that stood out to us. Yeah. Um, and it was about making sure that people are seen for their, for who they are. Yeah. Um, and so it was talking about the the quality of camera, right. Mm-hmm. And how well the pictures were taken and how, when you get a good quality camera, you actually can show what people look like. Mm-hmm. And, 
And so at the very end, they have all these squares or these rectangles all over the, the screen. And you have all these different races all over the place in their individuality. And so, right. um, you know, whether Google is doing that just to make money right. <laughs> or not, right. which they, you know, who knows? Yeah, their they motives. could just be spinning it. Um, but I look at it like mm-hmm. Paul talks about in the gospel when Paul says, listen, there are people who are preaching the gospel with bad motives. Yeah. And I can't do anything about that. Right. But at least the gospel's going forward. It's being preached. It's yeah. being preached. Right. And so I I think there's a, a an essence among black people that some of these companies are just getting in on it yeah. to because they know it's the fashionable thing to do. Absolutely. And to make money right now. And right. I get that. Yeah. Like I, I really do get that. Um, but you're still being represented in a beautiful way. Right. right. And so even the, if their motives are bad, I think taking that principle that Paul lays out and say, okay, yeah, Google's motives, I don't know what they were. Right. But look at how diversity and representation was promoted in this commercial. Yeah. And that was still beautiful, mm-hmm. even if the people who did it had bad motives yeah. or good motives. And they tackled an issue in the black community. I know I've had yeah. a lot of black friends say, you know, I'm... I, I never show up in photos and stuff right. like that, you know, yeah. and, and some of it's lighting and things. And that, you know, the commercial is, yeah. it was good, but it also it showed people in bad lighting and good lighting and stuff. Right. So, well, and, um, and, and I, and I think too, I think the overall conversation about the Super Bowl is there's, there's no question diversity and representation was evident in yeah. the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. And here you have two white guys talking about race, justice, and Jesus. That's yep. what we do on this podcast, talk about race, justice, and Jesus. And you have two white guys here who were excited about that. Right. We were excited about the representation and the diversity and all the things that the NFL did and some of the commercials that were done. And yet at the same time, Twitter and social media was blowing up with all kinds of racist yeah. ideology right. and people telling on themselves right. because of the way they spoke about some of the very things we just talked about. Absolutely. Um, people are going to lose their jobs. Yeah, we saw People that. are going to lose their lives. Yeah. Uh, not like death, but right. gonna, their livelihoods. Right. Because um, they told on themselves. Yeah. And their racist ideology and racist thoughts made their way to social media mm-hmm. where it lives forever. And the internet's a dangerous place. Where man. it lives forever. Especially Twitter. Um, so here we are celebrating it, and we know at the same time there are people who are not celebrating Right. That, yeah, and um, and and some professing Christians that are not celebrating yeah. that, and and that just that just breaks my heart because it's something as we've talked about on here the last couple of weeks. It's something we should be for as Christians, yeah. and it should be uh, something that we see as beautiful. Right. And speaking of beautiful, man, music can be beautiful. Let's talk. Music can be beautiful, and that's what we're going to focus on in today's episode, episode number twenty-two: mm-hmm. racial representation and diversity in music. Now, we're not going to be able to tackle every single genre of music um, that black people have influenced. That black that's a lot. people have influenced. But what we're going to do is we are going to um, focus on pop and rock. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tackle that p- portion. And then I'm going to let Tyler, as we should, handle the <laughs> hip hop portion. Um, but so I want to talk about pop rock and I want to talk about the, the influence that black artists have had yeah. on pop rock music. So I think the place to start is to at least mention the Negro spirituals yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, and how different they were from what was being sung by white people at the time. Right. And the influence that the Negro spiritual had on what we call blues. Mm-hmm. Um, the Negro spirituals were songs that were, that really inspired blues music. Cause it was oh, yeah. like, here's the situation that we're in. Mm-hmm. This is bad. Lord, please help us. They were soulful um, too. And very, very soulful. Mm-hmm. So what you have coming out of the, the 1800s is you have black artists starting to put some music to the Negro spiritual vibe. Right. And that really introduced the world to blues. Yeah. And in 1912, trumpeter W.C. Handy, who was called the father We're going back to 1912. of blues, 1912, Ooh. the father of blue, blues, published the sheet music for Memphis Blues, mm-hmm. which he called a Southern rag. And then two years later, he penned the classic St. Louis Blues. So this is when music is starting to get put 
to a vibe of the Negro spiritual. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to see a style of music come from the Negro spiritual. And, and one thing you're going to see, and I'm going to repeat it three or four times is how music builds upon itself. Yeah. Blues built upon the Negro spiritual. Right. Um, and so you'll see this as we come along. And so the, the same time around the same time that WC handy was getting blues off the ground, Bessie Smith, known as the Empress or Queen of Blues, records multiple sessions in 1920. All of these records become hits. Mm. And that really, Bessie, I would say Bessie Smith was probably the one who spread the fame yeah. of blues music. Right. She was the one that you look at and you're like, okay, this is the woman who made blues music possible. That's awesome. So Black woman. That's where blues comes from. Yeah. It comes from black people coming out of the 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 negro, negro spirituals, spirituals mm -hmm. in putting music to it with the same feel and the yeah. same heart mm -hmm. but with instrumentation that co that corresponds to right. the heart and the vibe that's going on yeah um and then you had louis armstrong mm. 1925 he records the first of a series of singles that um that really become popular they and what's neat is he he takes some songs that had already been written and he puts his own twist on it. Yeah. He puts his own vibe on it. And what comes out of his vibe, um, building on blues, is what we know as jazz music. So he takes the Negro spiritual and the blues, and then he puts his own vibe on it. Mm -hmm. He puts his own twist on it. And there is a, um, a man who writes um, all about music in this genre. His name is Charles Garrett. He noted... Um, he reviewed a 2000 recording selection of Louis Armstrong stuff. And he said that this music by Louis Armstrong um, was the birthplace of jazz and the music shot heard around the world. Mm. Um, and so notice Negro spiritual to blues from blues to jazz, jazz, all being pushed and promoted by black artists who understand the heart and the vibe of this kind of music. Right. And so that music in the black community, that dominated for from 1912 to really like up to 1940-ish, mm. jazz and blues dominated in, in the black community. Then in 1944, you have Sister Rosetta Tharp. She releases a single, Down by the Riverside, which she highlights her pioneering a uh, electric guitar playing she she plays the guitar like nobody else has played the guitar which which is what's happening right so they're getting better and better right. at instruments and and they're getting right. better and better at their sound and perfecting craft and sounds and right. all those things and when somebody and when people countless musicians hear her playing this they're like i want to play like that right and so, so she, she really yeah she really um, she's called the godmother of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. she, it, most people don't understand that. Yeah, but in right. 1944, a black woman was called the godmother of rock and roll because mm -hmm. of the way that she played the guitar. Wow. Library of Congress added this song to the National Recording Registry in 2004, saying that the song captures her spirited guitar playing and unique vocal style, demonstrating clearly her influence on early rhythm and blues and rock performers. It's wow. awesome. Um, so... That probably, down by the riverside, is probably the first rock and roll single that we've got. Mm. That we can look back and say, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't blues. Right. That wasn't jazz. Right. It didn't necessarily fit either one of these yeah, genres. Like, so what that, is this That's now? taking a step yeah. somewhere else. That's cool. Um, and that step is into rock and roll. Mm. Her influence throughout the 40s paved the way for probably the first rock and roll record. Mm. The first rock and roll record was by the Kings of Rhythm. It's Ike Turner's Mississippi-based R&B group. And um, most people say that this is the first full-length rock and roll album mm. ever produced. Mm. So, um, and it wasn't massively popular. It wasn't, you know, this big hit, but it's important as a as a marker in time right like, historical marker yes mm -hmm. this is when a album hits the radio and it is rock and roll r&b 
different than what we've had in the past. Through and through. Right. Yep. And then we have one man who lights it all on fire, <laughs> throws dynamite on it, and blows it up. His name is Chuck, Chuck Berry. Berry. In 1955, mm-hmm. Chuck Berry records Maybelline. It is number 18 on Rolling Stone's rankings of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Wow. They, they, in their article about this song, they say rock and roll guitar starts here. Man. Now, probably didn't start there. Right. But made it popular. Right. Um, when Chuck Berry came out with Maybelline mm-hmm. and he started doing his thing, eh, this made it mainstream. This pushed black rock and roll music to the forefront. Right. And so many people call Elvis Presley the king of rock and roll. <laughs> He is not the king of rock and roll. Chuck Berry is the king of rock and roll. Yeah. He was the one to really do it. And he uh, just piled up a bunch of genres. Yes. He just took R&B. The, country. The, yeah, country. The rock that had come before him. Mm-hmm. The, the blues that had come before him. The jazz that had come before him. And he, he put it all together. And then with his... Uh, unique. Unique style. Yeah created what we today call rock and roll. Right. Like we could point, and if you were like, okay, when did rock and roll become rock and roll in the United States? Mm-hmm. You point to Chuck Berry. Yeah. Which is, um, cool. which is really, really cool. But the other styles didn't go anywhere. It's not like, you know, jazz and blues disappeared when other genres built on it. They still had the purity of their, you know, their album, which, I mean, their style, which makes total sense because in 1959, Miles Davis records kind of blues on August 17th is when it's released and it is massively popular. So he, he keeps the blues mm-hmm. and the jazz thing going. Mm. And even to this day, we've got jazz and blue artists right. that all they do is, is hit jazz and blue artists. Mm. Um, and then you had another guy who kind of did it his way. Yeah. And that's James Brown. Oh yeah. Um, James Brown had a flair for the dramatic. Yeah. He had a, a style and a vibe that was unique and different. Mm -hmm. And so he took rock and roll and then put this, this twist on it. Right. And it was, it was huge. And he also had a massive impact on the, the inner city. Yeah. Oh yeah. His sound touched the inner city more than any other sound before it. Right. And his album called live at the Apollo Mm -hmm. was released in May of 1962 and it was a crack, a crossover smash. Right. So it wasn't just black people that liked it. Yeah. It crossed it over into everybody. everything. Yep. It was number two on the Billboard album charts, which, which is, is huge for a black artist at that point, especially at the '60s. Yes. Right? Like that's that's what I was gonna say. It's like yeah. in the '60s, a lot of stuff is going down. Right. right now with, yep. With civil rights and things like, there's a lot of stuff going and down. His, and his album's number two. Biggest. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. In fact, it stayed on the Billboard top charts for 66 weeks man that's unheard of yeah that's like today that i mean that's not possible that's not possible (laughs) um and that's what it did yeah and and so again you see the progression and then you have someone come along that progresses guitar playing in a way like chuck berry so i mean if you if you back up and you say okay sister rosetta tharp changed the way guitar was played Chuck Berry then comes along and builds upon that. Mm-hmm. Man, he's got his own style. He makes guitar playing popular. James Brown didn't play. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't known as a guitarist. Miles Davis wasn't known as a guitarist. Right. But then you get probably the greatest guitarist of all times arrive in the Hendrix. late 60s, yeah. Jimi Hendrix. Right. His debut album, Are You Experienced, is released in the UK in May and in August in the United States. It is a blurring of all the genres. Yeah, yeah. He was a flamboyant showman, yeah, yeah. Uh, a good songwriter, oh yeah, um, and often, by most people's accounts, the greatest guitar player of all time. Yeah, and his influence just burns right through the seventies. Mm-hmm. He at the late sixties he shows up, and then right through the seventies he is promoting rock and roll music as a black man mm-hmm. and making it more and more popular and demonstrating how beautiful and talented black artists are um, in the craft. And and I want to just mention this as a side note, but in the 70s is when reggae got popular. Um, Bob Marley and the Wailers, mm-hmm. um, they released Catch, Catch a Fire. Mm-hmm. And so it, it 
catches fire, right? No pun intended. Maybe yeah. maybe a pun intended in right. the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we go from Negro spirituals to blues to jazz to then the progression of rock and roll? How do we go from that? to what we consider to be typical pop music today. So like if I were to ask most people, like what's, when did pop music become pop music? They're going to all probably point to the eighties. Yeah. Right. And, um, the King of pop, Michael Mm -hmm. Jackson, but you're like, okay, well, how did we go from rock and roll and, and that kind of being the main thing, R and B rock and roll to pop music. Well, this is where Stevie Wonder helps bridge that gap. Mm. Stevie Wonder was the was kind of a bridge between that. He was bluesy, he was jazzy, but he was also doing a thing on the pop side that was a little bit different. And so he kind of opened a door up for some traditional pop like we know it today. Right. Um, his album, Inner Visions, he becomes the first artist to win a Grammy Award for Album of the Year. Man. The first black artist, I'm yeah. sorry, to win a Grammy right. Award for album of the year, 1974. Um, And that opens the door to the eighties. That opens the door to Michael Jackson and to Prince. In 1982, Michael Jackson releases Thriller. Thriller! (laughs) Uh, Dude, listen to these numbers, Tyler. 66 million copies worldwide. Insane. And, that's not like downloads. You're not right. downloading yeah, music yeah. in the eighties. Yeah, there's no streaming. This is this is people going out to stores, buying albums with their hard-earned 66 money. Sixty-six <laughs> million people yeah. walked to a record store yeah. and bought the album Thriller. Yeah, it topped Billboard's chart. Not not on the chart. It was number one for thirty-seven weeks. Yeah, chances are, some of you guys have it. 37 <laughs> weeks. Oh, yeah. Or you, or you stream it. Um, <laughs> it spawned seven top 10 singles, three right. have reached number one. It won eight Grammys, including <sighs> album and record of the year. Man. And he started doing something that nobody had done before. He did. Like short movies for his videos. Yeah. There were videos that were going on MTV. Right. Those videos were a lot of digital effects mm-hmm. and weird, you know, 70s, early 80s, like light uh, dance moves, a little bit of, uh, like, you know, it's like everyone was on acid like, when they yeah. put, when they put the, the, the yeah. you know, those videos together. Right. Michael Jackson says, I want to do something different. I want a cinematic production. Yes. I want a production. <laughs> yeah. And so he does. And mm-hmm. what happens is those become massively popular right. and MTV, which up to this point had pretty much just played a bunch of white people. Right. Um, now all of a sudden they took they, notice. They have to like, play this. I have to. Yeah. And so Michael Jackson helps break down MTV's perceived color barrier at right. the time. Prince shows up. Yeah. The same time, around the same time, he 84. releases Purple yeah. Rain. Mm-hmm. Right? 25 million copies sold. It won um, two Grammys and was nominated for Album of the Year. So these black artists are just cleaning up. Right. And, around and, this time. And so from Stevie Wonder to Michael Jackson to Prince, we get what is typically then called pop music right right like popular music that's what we think of when we say um pop music Mm -hmm. uh and then we move to the 90s yeah and i would say when it comes to black artists in the 90s there is no one bigger than whitney houston Mm. whitney houston was she was everything in the 90s man (laughs) everything in the 90s and this was before she got with uh Bobby Brown and yeah, and right. got on drugs and got all Sad. messed up. Yeah, um, this was her in her like prime heyday, which is nuts. And yeah. the album, her the album that actually blew her up even more than it already was was the Bodyguard soundtrack. Mm-hmm. The Bodyguard soundtrack, um, six songs were her. Mm-hmm. Six songs were other people, but six songs were her. It sold forty five million copies. It was um, won the Grammy for Album of the Year, and today it is still the all-time best-selling soundtrack. And people bought it for for her, yeah. And they bought it for her rendition of Dolly Parton's "I Will Always Love You." Man, that the way she did that song, oh yeah, I, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, people today are trying to <laughs> yeah. to sing it like no. Whitney Houston it, did. It can't be emulated. Um, it was huge. Yeah. It was absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many of you remember 
Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish. Because now we're getting to stuff where almost all of our listeners were a bunch know, of alive. white guys, but one black yeah. rear uh, front man. And and what was funny was, was <laughs> is that the front man Darius Rucker, um, he ended up being called Hootie. Yeah. Because <laughs> the Blowfish <laughs> were the white man, and then right. Hootie was Darius Rucker, but Darius Rucker was a black man. And the reason why I wanted to mention this is because in the early 90s, a genre comes out of like Seattle Mm -hmm. and it's called grunge or alternative rock. And it kind of comes out of Seattle and uh, morphs into some milder alternative music that all is being dominated by white people. Mm. And then Hootie shows up. Yeah. Right. Darius Rucker shows up leading an alternative band as the lead singer. And there just wasn't any of that. I think the only other band that you could really think of was collective, uh, um, not collective soul. That's not what I'm thinking about. Mm. Uh, dad gummit. They sang, uh, they sang a song about interracial dating, actually love. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but they had a black front man as well. And And this is the uh, 90s collected. Wait, blessed union of souls. It just came to me. Blessed union of souls. Um, that was the group or the song? That was the group. and uh, But not, not near as popular as Hootie and the Blowfish. Cracked right. Rear View, it was the number, it was the best-selling um, album in 1995 mm. um, by, by a long shot. And then 1997, mm-hmm. Destiny's Child shows yeah. up. Oh, the single <laughs> Uh Actually, what was their first hit? Their first hit was like, uh, No, 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 yeah. right? I think No, No, No was like their first huge I mean, they've hit. They had massive, yeah, massive bunch hits. of hits. And uh, I'm a survivor. Uh, I'm not gonna get. Yeah, that was up. later, I think. Yeah, but and so Destiny's Child pops on the scene, and yes, the other artists were popular, and the other ladies in the group were popular. Right. But we know Destiny's Child because of Beyonce Knowles. Yeah, Beyonce, was Beyonce a became star. a household name. Yep, massive, huge artist. She. We knew she was going to go solo. Like right. it, we knew it was just a matter of time before Beyonce goes solo right. and does her own thing, and that's what she did. And she kind of branched the you know R and B right, like the mm-hmm. pop R and B. Like she kind of yeah, she kind of yeah, that. she was kind of a, a bridge, a, a blend of those two things. Right. In 2010, Beyonce is hailed as the best-selling artist of the 2000s mm-hmm. with 64 gold and platinum certifications for her albums, digital songs, ringtones, and videos. Ringtones. She <laughs> is the most popular artist yeah. of the 2010s. Uh, up from 2000 to 2010. Right. So we're, we're seeing, as we look back, we're just seeing black artists perfecting and evolving and changing and pushing music forward right. into something that um, every generation can say, oh, look how, look how the black mm-hmm. community changed music here. Yeah. Look how it changed music here. Um, and if you look from the 2010s to 2020, the, the number six and number selling best artists during those times are Bruno Mars and Rihanna, wow. respectively. Yeah. Uh, today, black artists in pop and rock are as numerous as ever. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to look back and see the evolution and the growth and the change. And, and the resiliency. Yeah, absolutely the resiliency. Yeah. And praise God for music because it gave black people a, a platform mm-hmm. not only to showcase their talent, but to say something. Right. You know, you've got, you know, Sam Cooke's. A change is going to come. Oh, like yeah. you know, we've got um, a lot of the these black artists being able to say something with their music, um, and that's huge. Now, before I'm done with my portion and we we move on to hip hop, I got to mention country music just real <laughs> quick. Now, if you know me, you know I am not a fan of country music. It is not my it is not my thing. It is not my cup of tea. But I did want to mention that country music as a you know, the last 10 years has yeah. seen a, a demographic change. Right. We're seeing some black artists mm-hmm. like Darius Rucker, who mm-hmm. moved from Hooting the Blowfish to being a, a country artist, right. like Kane Brown, right. for instance, uh, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen. These are people who, and there, there's more, but these are people who are black people that are now in the, in the country genre right. that are kind of bringing some different elements to country. Oh, yeah. Now, Let's not forget, Charlie Pride was doing this way before any right. before Kane Brown was doing it or any of these guys. Right. Charlie Pride back in the day uh, was doing country music as a black man before, and and in reality, hmm. black people are the reason country music music exists. Yeah, like they were doing country music before country music was country music. Mm-hmm. And in fact, most people don't know this: the banjo is an African instrument. Mm. 
It was invented yeah. in Africa. No idea. It was about brought that. here by wow. the slaves. And in fact, um, most, well, the man who popularized banjo playing learned how to play the banjo from a slave. What? Many of the, the, peop, the white people that learned how to play banjos initially learned how to play them from slaves. That's wild. Because this was an African instrument. Yeah. Um, now there's been tweaks and they've changed and stuff, but of course. Um, that's how they learned to play it. And many of the old famous country and bluegrass stars like Hank Williams, um, Billy Monroe, who's the father of bluegrass, their mentors and their teachers and the people that, that showed them how to play, they, they were black people. So even country music itself has so much root mm-hmm. in black artistry and yeah. black music. And so it doesn't matter if, if you go from a Negro spiritual or if you talk about country music and you would think, well, those are really far apart in genre styles. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of them have been greatly influenced by black artists and, of course, everything in between, including and most importantly, maybe for the last 30 years, 40 years, is hip hop. And that's where we want to turn next. And I'm going to turn it over to Tyler and let his do his thing as we talk about hip hop. The legend known as KRS One uh, once said that rap is something you do, hip hop is something you live. Okay? So hip hop is more than music. Right. Okay? Uh, we were kind of going over the genres and talking about how these genres developed and all this stuff. And hip hop is a whole culture. Right. A uh, culture that is made up of different elements, especially in its origins. So there are four foundational elements that characterized hip-hop culture, and that was uh, DJing, MCing, b-boying, and uh, visual or graffiti art, right? Now, you might have to explain what all those are. I'm going to go over it, but <laughs> DJing is turntablism, MCing, rapping, Back then, it was something different, but we'll explain that. B-boying is breakdancing and okay. uh, visual slash graffiti art. Uh, you know, that's that's the... Might take a few different forms, but... Right. Okay. Uh, so, these forms of expression have also developed into further subcultures. All of them. Have, yes. Right? Um, with lasting legacies, even today. Mm-hmm. Most of them are still around and ready, you know, really good and, and still developing. Right. So, yeah. um, the intersection of these four elements also generated a cultural revolution that, that rapidly spread across the globe. Mm-hmm. I mean, the entire globe, the, the global influence of hip hop culture has shaped music styles, yep. fashion, technology, art, entertainment, dance, of course, uh, politics, Yep. media, educate, all of it. Language, right? the way we, the way we oh, talk absolutely. and express ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and this all started from a house party. And, the, and there's, there's a lot of people that are, cre- there's a few guys that are credited right. with kind of being the fathers of, of hip hop. Yeah. But the most um, seen and the most known is it was in a house party led by a Jamaican immigrant named DJ Cool Herc in the Boogie Down Bronx. Um, this is where this whole culture of hip hop started. Right. And uh, DJ Cool Herc moved from Jamaica to New York, and with it, he brings this Jamaica Jamaican music influence. Right, right. Uh, something that New Yorkers haven't really heard. Yeah, but this he's in the an 70s. immigrant. He's kind of bringing this in. Yeah, it's early seventies. Early seventies. Uh, and one day he was throwing a house party, playing rhythm and blues and funk music. Um, and here's, here's what's really cool about this. I love this. Uh, even playing this kind of music was kind of a form of rebellion. And what I mean is it wasn't what was necessarily popular. It wasn't what was right. popping at the time uh, around this time. Because what was popping at the time? It was disco. Disco. Right? Uh, around this time, the mainstream Disco. Sound, it was disco, man. Uh, stuff like YMCA. Uh, you know, that, that stuff. Yeah. Disco, while it, it was inspired by your your James Browns and, mm-hmm. and things like that, uh, it had way more of a kind of a watered down. It, it right. didn't have it, it wasn't as funky, 
Well, right. and, and it, let's be real, uh, it had a, a white real. European vibe to it. It was whack, let's be honest. <laughs> but it was uh, a white European yeah. vibe. Yeah. ABBA, yeah. And, and you know what I mean? Like, that was the right the vibe that came from it. Right, so you got these guys that are going to, to house parties, and they're wanting to dance, and they're wanting to kind of vibe out with these these rhythm and blues artists and things, and, you know, disco just wasn't doing it Yeah, they, weren't, they, they couldn't get down to Dancing Queen in a house party. <laughs> so they didn't relate to it. Uh but DJ Cool Herc went back into the archives and pulled from old catalogs again, mm. like your James Browns and stuff. They weren't, they weren't uh, irrelevant or anything like that. But they they weren't as relevant as they once right. were. And so they were kind of digging back into the catalogs and right. kind of going into things that used to be popular and that they grew up on. Right. Right. DJ Cool Herc and other people, uh, the the guys that are listening to this, they they grew up on it and they danced to it and all those things. And so if you listen to these genres, you know a lot of the most classic records uh, were so much about feeling and vibes. Yep. And uh, oftentimes these records let the instrumentation just kind of play. Yeah. Right. They just let it ride out. Uh, Which probably has its its origins in blues and jazz, because right. that's right. what they would do, right? Exactly. And so towards the end, so the listener could feel music and, and, and the, like those drum patterns and yeah. things like that. They would just be different, right? Yep. Uh, so, you know, kind of drawing inspiration from like your later Motown sound, uh, James Brown records, all that stuff. And so, uh, and from this style and from those breaks came your b-boys and that's what right. break dancers are they used to dance during the break during those drum breaks during or those, those, mu- those, those instrumental instrumental breaks. ride outs that where the drums come in and stuff that's and that they is get where down. they would get down that's a b-boy look oh yeah man it was crazy okay. and so um so they were called this because they were doing that so during these house parties cool herc would drop the needle back and forth he kind of discovered that this was like a really cool way to to you know, hype people up and stuff like that, uh, and and when he would drop the needle back and forth, it would amplify the feel of these records and, and develop the early sound of hip hop. Um, and this was a unique sound. It wasn't. It didn't sound like anything else. Uh, it was amazing, and it allowed these party goers to really feel the music. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so cool, Herc kind of became a catalyst to the ideology that uh, they were rebels to disco. Right. They were rebelling against disco. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> so it's, it's really cool that, that even in the, you know, the origins of hip hop, like it, it was rebellious from the right. very beginning. Cause was, this is not the stuff against the grain. This is not the stuff we grew up with. This is yeah. not the stuff that makes us feel something. Right. And so while everybody else is doing this, we're going to rebel yeah. and do this it, thing that, and they took elements, so they loved DJs, so they kept those. Dancing, they, they kept that. That right. was being promoted and widely accepted. Um, but again, the, you know, these four elements of hip-hop really started taking over, and that's mm-hmm. turntablism, the DJing, MCing, which is, became rapping, it wasn't then, uh, and b-boying, and the graffiti. And so these parties caught on, and even though it was still underground, uh, it spread. Right. And it's spread, you know, in all these different house parties and different settings and right. venues and stuff. And so now people are throwing these parties and all different elements of hip hop are growing. People are getting better at them. Yeah. So DJs are getting better at their craft. Graffiti art is better quality right. and it's becoming more common. Uh, b-boying or, or breakdancing is growing to new heights, right? Because mm-hmm. they're getting better at it. And, and with the... Um, cool herc inspiration of like dropping the needle and things like that they can do more with it and then the uh my favorite which is emceeing which used to be you know masters of ceremony your job was to move the crowd right get the Uh, crowd hyped get the crowd you know getting involved and getting into it but as hip-hop is but that was about it that was really their job yeah i mean it was it was a hype man essentially Right. right uh but now what, what it became was this, uh, well, you have something to say too, right? right. And so MC started to, to speak out more. They started to kind of have a little, and it was always ryth- ryth- rhythmic. Rhythmic, is yeah. that the word? Yeah. It was always rhythmic, uh, but now they're starting to actually say some things. And so uh, the early rhythmic chants of the 1970s turned into metaphors and yep. similes and thoughtful lyrics exploring a range of subjects. And so now you have these dudes straight up rapping over beats. Right. Um, and this kind of stuff was pushed forward by artists like Chuck D mm-hmm. and Public Rock Kim 
and Melly Mel and again KRS-One and things like that. They went from hyping people up to dance and have a good time at parties to really saying some things and conveying real experiences. And so, you yeah. know, this is the hip hop that I fell in love with, Neil. Right. And, and the lyrical. You know, oh, it, I mean, just there's nothing better. Right. Uh, so eventually, hip hop hit the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, Artist Run DMC came in, collaborated with Aerosmith, mm-hmm. which Walk was a massive popular band. Uh, yeah, and it was Walk This Way. Uh, that they kind of did a rap remix to. <laughs> and uh, the single took over, dude. It, yeah. it took over the radio waves and catapulted rap into the top 10. Right. Which now, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler. Yeah, what's up? But the phrase hip-hop, yeah. didn't that come from Cool in the Gang? I believe so. Because, if you remember, Rapper's Delight yep. started off with a hip. A hop, a hip, a hip, a hip, hip, hop. That's where the the phrase hip hop came from. Right, right. They're yeah. like, well, what is that? Oh, that's hip hop. Yeah, it's that speaking over. It's you. It's putting the lyrics and and speaking the lyrics over the top of a rhythmic. Yep. You know, music. Yep. But I think you're right. I think it's when Run DMC and Aerosmith collaborated. Yeah. That all of a sudden now people are like. Well, it hits the top ten. Yeah. Now people are listening. Now yeah, people that's a big like, it's getting radio plays. Culture is is listening, and right. so they're and it's probably getting radio plays on rock stations too, not just right. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. hip hop's only getting played on hip hop. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, rock stations are hearing Run DMC. Yeah. Because yeah. what came from blues came from jazz, which came to rock and came yeah. to like it, it all kind of yeah. runs into each other. Right. Um, and so eventually, artists and groups like Public Enemy, like you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. NWA, yep. Rock Him, A Tribe Called Quest, LL Cool J. Ladies love cool <laughs> James. That's what it means. All brought the art of MCing to not only new levels of talent and ability, because now these guys are dope. Yeah. Like, like they're yeah. actually like rapping. Right. Uh, now using now they're using clever wordplay, metaphors, entendres, uh, double entendres, triple entendres, all those things. Just creative writing right. is put into this. Yeah. Uh, which always cracks me up when people say like, you know, rappers don't say anything. And all this. It's like, man, you're not listening. <laughs> right, like right. there's so much the whole layers point. to like what this is. Yeah. Uh, now some rappers don't say anything. That's very true. Right. And you need Y'all to listen ain't to talking about nothing. They ain't talking about nothing. <laughs> but then came new levels of introspectiveness, mm-hmm. right? People are listening to us now and we have a lot to say. Yeah. And so eventually the MC or the rapper became the focal point. What was once right. just an element has now become like that's what you know rappers as. That's what you right. know hip hop as is a, a hip hop artist is a rapper. Right. That's what they are. Right. Someone who is saying something. Right. And so this what they were saying was hard to oh, hear. Yeah. It was a rebellious message. Yeah. Again, going back to that rebellion because that's the origins right. of hip hop. Groups like NWA and Public Enemy had songs that were popular. But they were raw, mm-hmm. and they were uncensored, and they were provocative. Yeah, they were tough. And they were saying things that people didn't like to hear right. that offended them. Um, and and the delivery was off sometimes, right. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just uh, what they didn't want to hear. A lot of times it was stuff that people didn't want to admit was going on. Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is stuff that's happening. Yeah. They and, spoke out about police abuse, yeah. racism, yeah. Uh, government abuse. And, and again, so you think about it. This is probably, uh, what year would you say? Late eighties. Late eighties. Okay, yeah. so so Early civil 90s. rights have happened, all that stuff, but there's still issues going on. Uh, yeah. And a lot of the white people are are kind of thinking that those things are behind. Yeah, because we've talked about that, right? Well, right. civil rights act. Right. We've we've moved on. There's no there's no racism. Right. And now you got these bands and the these groups coming out of the projects in inner cities saying, there's no no no, this ain't fixed. Yeah. Like, let me tell you about our life. Right. And you don't probably want to hear what we have to say. Right. And so, uh, so again, this was controversial. More middle mm-hmm. to high class white America at the time hated NWA, oh, yeah. bro. Like, they yeah. hated NWA. They would, they would do picket, picket protests right. and things like that. Uh, they would kind of label them as, as a group of violent, angry gangsters right. uh, that were a bad influence. In, Which in, they were, violent, well, angry gangsters. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but they were promoting you know, gang life to their children and stuff. Right. And by, by virtue of being mainstream, that's what you're doing. Right. I get that. Right. Um, 
But if you go back and listen to their songs, there's not as much promoting that lifestyle as much as it's just sharing. They're just being real. Like yeah. this is the way that it yeah. is here. And this is this is the way I was brought up, and this is how I think now because yep. of a product of my environment kind of right. thing. And so, yes, they're angry. Uh, I would, you know, you would be too. I would be right. too. Uh, and th- now, again, little, you know, branch here. This does not excuse them of their sin. No. So please don't say that, you know, Tyler and Neil are promoting NWA <laughs> right. on their podcast. Right. Um, but, but what it should do is give Christians insight. It, it should give us uh, kind of cause to, to stop Mm-hmm. And not just be offended by the message, but but listen deeper. Right, these people are hurting. Have empathy for these. These people. are broken, hurting people. These are image bearers. Yeah, that are that are deserving of dignity and respect, like we always say. Yeah. Uh, and, and Tyler, I just want to say, hurt. I'm so thankful that some people were listening. Yeah. Because I would argue that that hip hop and what hip hop was saying, it impacted people enough that activism started yeah like okay whoa if this is what's going down here yeah and this is what's happening here what are we doing about it what you know so the same time that you had protests going on Mm -hmm. you had people now asking the question okay if this stuff is coming out of this like if this is what's coming out of the projects if this is what's coming out of the ghetto if this is coming out of the 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 light What's going on in there that we need to address as a nation yeah. and as a country? And we're still asking that question. Which is, which is so cool to think about the origins of hip-hop, where it came from a house party, and then now it's a huge tool for activism. Right. That's so dope to me. Right. Like, that's such yeah. a cool thing. Yeah. And, we're, and uh, it's still doing that. Oh, absolutely. It's still doing that. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm a testimony of that. Right. Um, but, yeah, yeah. So, so again, hip-hop, the, the origins of it, everything about it, is is rebellious everything about it is kind of against the grain right it's it's this um this idea that man we are we're different yeah (laughs) and we're gonna take this and we're gonna be uh we're gonna make this something that that is and and again i don't think they made it they didn't want to make it this huge thing they didn't have that in their head probably they were just enjoying it right here's a platform Um, and we're gonna but then man we got a platform we're gonna gonna say say what we got to say and now it has become Right. what it is. And, and so, I think the worst thing a, we can do is just to be dismissive. Right. I yeah, guess yeah. the worst thing we could do is just yeah. dismiss. Okay. They're using foul language and saying something I don't like about I'm dismissing them. And I'm not yeah. saying let your kids listen, listen to it. Let like, your kids listen yeah. to it. But I think we, as we've got to be critical thinkers and we've got to say, okay, are they saying something? Are they just trying to sell albums or right. are they saying something that is uncomfortable that we might need to listen to? And, yeah. and the delivery is off. The delivery yes. is angry. The delivery yeah. is, is sinful or whatever right. else. And have a heart for these people right. that are understandably broken and messy. Yeah. And should create activism in us. Yeah. Right? We should Absolutely. do something about that. Right. If, if these people are hurting, then we need to come to them. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but what's awesome about Jesus there's a lot of things awesome about Jesus. <laughs> the one uh, thing that's awesome about what's Jesus. What's awesome about Jesus is is he redeems things. Mm-hmm. He redeems things. He takes things that are dirty and broken and wrong right. and harmful right. and uh and then he just cleans them off. Yeah. And and he still keeps yeah. them. <laughs> like it's right. still hip hop, but now Christian yeah. hip hop comes in and it's Imagine what the what hip-hop is going to be like on the new earth oh yeah i mean you think people are talented now to be able to put oh yeah lyrics together and that breath and, control bro and like it's Woo. just going to be it's going to be insane and <laughs> yeah, i, and yeah, I yeah. think no what doubt. you just said about redemption is so important because i think our job as a christian in anything that we come across in life is to redeem it for the glory of god absolutely and it doesn't matter if it's blues jazz rock country hip-hop mm-hmm. like it's it's our job to try to redeem that to express the new humanity, right, right, and to express um, the hope and the newness that can come in Christ. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about taking a genre, not performing it well, and just putting Christian lyrics to it. That's, right. that's not what I'm talking about. And that was a problem for a long oh, time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I, so I'm not talking about being bad at art and then just saying, but I, but I said Jesus, you should listen to it. No, I'm sorry, I won't do that. Right. Like I'm not going to listen to your yeah. garbage Christian. Right. Just because yeah, you no, said absolutely. Jesus. Absolutely. 
your gentrified version of hip hop. Right. That, what what we want with all these genres of music is we want Christians to say, "I'm going to make beautiful, excellent hip hop art, um, rock, yeah, pop, right. jazz, class, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a beautiful piece of art, and then I'm going to share through that." I'm going to say something, Mm -hmm. something that's lasting and hopeful and good. And, um, sometimes it's still, um, rebellious, but it's going to point to something greater and praise God that we have artists that, that that's their goal. That's what they're attempting to do is what you try to do with Mm -hmm. your music. It's what so many other people. And, and what's crazy is, is that Christian art is getting better and better and better. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Artistry in general is just yeah. it's just getting more developed and it yeah. should it should evolve. Right. And so happen. we want diversity, we want representation in music because it just again glorifies the gifts and talents that God has given people, which in turn will glorify God. Yep. And it provides another means for the church mm-hmm. to redeem things and point people to the new humanity. Amen. And so we ought to be thankful for what black people have done for music yeah. because in doing so it has provided the church a greater opportunity to display the glory of God. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for it. And I'm so thankful for you listening and being a part of this podcast. Um, we're going to try to do one more next week. Um, we will try to do diversity and representation in sports. So we'll get into that next week, Lord willing, but we want you to share and like and review and subscribe and all the things that you can do to promote this podcast. Thank you for listening on behalf of Tyler and myself. We will catch you next time. Wait.